Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And good Saturday morning to you. Well, welcome to our Smart Garden Show. I was thinking, yeah, lawns could be a challenge right now, but uh, that's for another... That's for springtime. Julie Weisenhorn is with us from the University of Minnesota. Good morning, Julie. Good to hear from you again. Happy New Year, Denny. 2021. All right. It's finally uh, here. <laughs> at last. Thank goodness. Uh, I was thinking um, before you got on that, that uh, how, how do we take care of our indoor plants? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking we're going to get back with colder weather. I, granted, we've had above yeah, average temps and will have. But uh, it'll be back in whatever normal is, average temperature. How do we care for plants, indoor plants, during these dry times? Well, one of the things to remember about these indoor plants is that they're native plants somewhere in the world. And to understand how they grow is a really good insight to understanding how to care for them in this kind of um, uh, false imaginary (laughs) indoor uh, environment. So, for example, um, we look at some of our low-light plants, those that grow in lower-light conditions. Those are understory plants in their native environment. So they're growing underneath other plants and being shaded from the sun. So they're really good for low-light, and that's a big challenge for home environments. Lighting is one of the toughest things to get because you can't really control it too much except for adding supplemental light, which is perfectly fine. We have an excellent publication on our extension site. We just updated it with lighting information for starting seeds, and it is under our growing house plants section. Uh, it's called lighting for indoor plants and starting seeds. So understanding the conditions, doing a little bit of research on your house uh, plants and finding out where and how they grow is a, a really good first step to understanding how to care for them. And as usual, Julie, let's uh, mention from time to time the university website, uh, which is great reading any time of year, but especially since uh, many of us, most of us are kind of stuck inside here. It's some great, uh, great information you guys put. You talk about a labor of love, and I mention that from time <laughs> to time, but you and your colleagues put a whole lot of work in, into this uh, system. Yeah, it, and we keep adding things that we know people are really interested in, like this lighting uh, publication. We've just updated the slugs pop the slugs webpage, which may not be uh, appropriate for right now, but boy, it's going to be something that people I think are going to be checking out later this summer when they're 
finding uh, slug damage on some of their hospitals and whatnot. But we have all sorts of great information on that website, and it's extension.umn.edu. Very good. Let's grab a phone call. I think Pat is calling in from uh, Arden Hills this morning. Thank you, Pat. What's your question for Julie? Uh, I was given a little pine at Christmas. It's two feet tall, and uh, I wonder what can I do anything with that? It's a you know it's live. Is it? Uh, it's probably a Norfolk pine. No, no, it's not. It's oh, a, it's not. It's a okay, little, it's a real little. Uh, I don't even know what kind of pine. It's short, like a little spruce almost. Okay. Um, you could you could certainly keep it growing indoors, of course, and keep it watered. Make sure it drains really well. So, uh, and then in the summer, put it outside. I'm not sure if it's going to be hardy or not for Minnesota, but you could try planting it outside and see. If okay, it well, makes I was it. wondering if it needed to have a little frost or something to it, but it doesn't. I can keep it in. Okay. Right. Good. Thank- All right. Very good. Thank you for that call. And by the way, if you want to chat with Julie or send Julie a text. Same number applies, and that number is 651-989-9226, A uh, texter wants to know, Julia, it says, I, I have a beautiful, is it, it's P-O-T-H-O-S, po- pothos? Oh, pothos, yes. Plant, and I see, texter says, small but looks like soft white cotton spots on it. I also see some of the... Uh, on the wandering Jew plant. How do I get rid of that? Oh, my goodness. So those are probably mealybugs. And mealybugs are a sucking insect. They have this kind of cottony-looking uh, covering, which is what they're seeing. And, um, and there are, uh, they're, they're quite large, actually, as insects go for houseplants. They're easy to see, and clearly this person has seen those. You're going to want to uh, treat those. First, you could start by washing off the plants. I don't know how big the plants are. Pothos can be very long. There, it's a big vining plant, and um, but if it's a more compact plant, you could put it in the sink and wash that off and hand pick off those white clusters that you see. The same with the wandering Jew. Now, if the plants are very prolific, you might want to cut them back before you do that, so that you can actually manage that. You can also treat those with. A um, with insecticidal soap or a horticultural oil. And these are readily available, mixed up in spray bottles at a garden center. And you want to read the label, follow the instructions, and treat the plants according to the directions on the on the label. You also want to separate these plants from other plants. So take them, move them somewhere where they are not going to. Those mealybugs are not going to crawl onto another plant. And then really keep an eye on them. You'll probably have to keep treating them over the course of the of the winter until you finally see that they're gone. But they're they're pesky, but they're large. So they're actually the adults are very easy to see. All right, very good. Uh let's grab a phone call from Janet in Shakopee. Janet, you are on CCO with Julie. Morning, Julie. Um, Morning. I have a question about frost dates, the average frost dates and what somewhat Morning, Julie. Um, Morning. I have a question about frost dates, the average frost dates, and what some would consider the normal safe date for planting tomatoes and such. Well, our frost, where are you located? Shakopee. Okay, so you're in the Twin Cities. Uh, so our, Okay, so our typical frost date has always been around 
uh, May 20th or so. I remember that. It's my mother's birthday. <laughs> but um, but it has actually moved up to maybe May 9th now. Now, with tomatoes, we still can get frost after that date. Remember, this is just an average frost-free date. So uh, tomatoes, which prefer warmer environments, warmer weather, um, should probably go out around Memorial Day or so. But uh, for plants that can tolerate a little bit of cold, uh, that earlier May date would be appropriate. Okay. We need to take, as usual, a quick break here, Julie. Uh, let's advise our listeners to call in their question. We t- always tend to get busy, and we uh, once in a while run out of uh, time to answer those questions. So don't wait. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question for Julie, call it in or text it in at 651-989-9226. Uh, it's 816 on a Saturday, 13 degrees here in the Twin Cities. Our expected high today is going to be around 23, but maybe... By Wednesday, we could be up to near 38 degrees. Again, right now, it's 13 degrees. From News Talk 830-WCCO. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. We're around every Saturday here on WCCO in the 8 o'clock hour, welcoming your phone calls and text messages for good folks from the U of M, like Julie Weisenhorn, who is with us today. Julie, we have tons of calls and All text right. messages. It's a busy day for sure. <laughs> so uh, let's let's get back to it. Uh, next stop, Vail, Colorado. I think Nancy wow. is there. Hey. And Nancy, Nancy, good morning. I know Nancy. Good morning. <laughs> yes, Julie's a cousin of mine, but I have a question for her. Um, I have an amaryllis that I got at Christmas time, and it flowered once beautifully at Christmas, and now it's flowering again. How do I take care of it over the summer so I can enjoy it next Christmas? Oh, excellent question, Nancy. Thanks for calling. So good to hear from you. Uh, yeah, the amaryllis. Fantastic house plant. It's a large bulb. It's not hardy outdoors during the winter, so uh, we have to bring them in. But in the spring, when the temperatures warm up, uh, you can set that amaryllis outside and allow it to grow. The leaves will be long and kind of paddle shaped, and they will absorb and create and photosynthesize energy and put that back into the bulb. And then in the before it freezes in the fall, you just bring it back in and put it in a sunny window, keep watering it. And provided that it's gotten enough energy stored in that bulb, which uh, hopefully it will, it will bloom uh, again for you next year. So, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic plant, one of my favorite indoor plants. It's really exciting to see it bloom. Kind of nice to hear from Nancy, huh? Yeah. I remember driving as a young man. As a young man driving through Vail, Colorado to do some photography in Aspen many years ago, all I could afford was to eat at McDonald's in the in the Vail. And I don't think things have probably changed that much as far as prices, but that's a, for another show. Uh, there's a texter says, uh, and then we, we have more callers too, uh, how do you get rid of stink bugs that have come inside for the winter? Oh, stink bugs. So I think... Um, Probably the best thing to do is actually vacuum them up, and um, if uh, that way you'll avoid touching them, and, and they do kind of smell. Um, but, yeah, just vacuum them up, and then uh, look for openings where they might be coming in and seal those up. Okay. When do I start tomato plants in the house? Texter wants to know. 
So most tomato plants require about eight weeks um, for the seeds to germinate and the plants to get large enough to be planted outdoors. So you want to count backwards. And that previous caller had asked about the frost-free date, the, the last frost date, basically, that we have in the spring, when on average, we don't expect to have cold weather after this date. Usually it's around, uh, we would say the average is around early May, May 9th. Uh, a lot of people like to wait till Memorial Day weekend for those warmer crops like tomatoes and peppers to get those outside. So I kind of follow that rule of thumb. First of all, you get an extra day because you've got a day off. Um, but uh, that way you're pretty sure that you're not going to be getting frost after Memorial Day. But technically our average last frost date is about May 9th. That's the okay. Twin Cities. Twin Cities. Yeah. Back to the phones we go. Phyllis is calling in from New Richmond this morning. Phyllis, thanks for waiting. What is your question? Um, yes, I received for Christmas a plant called Euphorbia trigona. It's E-U-P-H-O-R-B-I-A second word, T-R-I-G-O-N-A. I'm not sure exactly how to take care of this. Well, euphorbias have a unique feature in that they have a sticky white sap. And uh, so if you're going to trim it back at all, that's one thing to consider is that you want to wear gloves and then wash up your pruner afterwards. Um, They are also plants that they are pretty easy to care for. They would pref- grow best in a bright, sunny window or with some supplemental light. Uh, they do like it warm, so keep them away from cold drafts. And uh, and just water them, feel the soil, and just water them when the soil is dry. So they're they're actually pretty pretty carefree plants in in an essence. And also with any house plant, make sure that the pot that they're in is draining well, meaning that there are holes in the bottom. And you can set the pot in the sink, water the plants, and allow them to drain well, and then put them back where in the location that they were in. All right, very good. Thanks, Phyllis. Uh, let's see who's next on the phone. Robert is calling in this morning from Woodbury, I believe. Robert, you are on CCO. Here is uh, Julie hey, to help thank you. you. I uh, have a question concerning a plant. I don't know the name of it, but it's uh, grew, grown from uh, maybe a foot high up to five foot high. And now um, the leaves are kind of off of a single stem, are starting to turn brown, and it works from the bottom up. In a few days, you can uh, it'll go from green to to brown, and I can, with very little effort, take it off the stem, and it's just working itself up to the top. And I don't know if that's a disease or if it's something with the soil or the watering. I keep it well watered, and it's uh, but I don't auto over water. I'm pretty sure. And um, I just wondering if you had any ideas about that. Oh, that's difficult without knowing what the plant is. But that when when plants start to drop leaves, when they turn brown and drop, it can be. Uh, it could be a number of things. You mentioned that you don't think you're overwatering it. I would just make sure that uh, the plant is um, draining well, that the pot is draining well when you do water it. And uh, because sometimes it can, you can, it can feel like it can look like you're not like you're watering it fine, but actually there's quite a bit of water in the bottom of the pot. You might try repotting the plant. 
Uh, and you might try fertilizing the plant. And that's a little tricky if you don't know what plant it is. But uh, on average, you could, you could purchase an all-purpose houseplant fertilizer and then just mix it at or use it at half the strength. And do that about every, oh, maybe every two or three times that you water the plant. Um, you don't want to over-fertilize it because something is going on with that plant, but it may be that that soil is depleted in nutrients and you want to add some back in. So that's that's about all I can tell you without knowing what the plant is. Yeah, without the identification. Yeah, for that's sure. a little tricky. A little if you tough. want, you could send a picture of it to Ask Extension, and that is on our Extension Yard and Garden site. And that is monitored by... Master Gardeners, you can post up to three pictures per and per email, and one of the Master Gardeners will get back to you. Maybe they can identify the plant for you. You want to send a really clear picture of the leaves, a uh, picture of the whole plant, and then a, certainly a picture of what's happening to the plant. Yeah, very good. All right. I want to alert Martha. You're going to be next when we come back after a look at the weather, so don't go away. We have more texters as well. 651-989-9226 is the phone number. It's also the text number. Smart Garden returns here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Thirteen. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here with Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota helping you out with your lawn and garden questions. And coming up, we actually do have a lawn question, uh, Julie, so we'll get to that. But let's back up a little bit. I think you have a little follow-up on the euphorbia question. Yeah, you know, sometimes callers call in with uh, the plant names and I think, oh, I know what that plant is, but I just can't remember exactly. Um, But the euphorbia is also called the African milk tree. And it can also be called a cactus, but it's not a true cactus. And it's because it has uh, one of the uh, features is it has this milky white sap. Now, this sap, I just want to caution the owner, is a skin irritant and it can be poisonous. You want to keep pets and kids away from it. Uh, and you want to protect your eyes and your hands if you're handling that plant. So let's say you're going to propagate that plant. by You can simply snap off one of its candelabras or its arms that it grows, and then root that in a nice cactus soil, which you can buy ready-made from a garden center. But you want to wear gloves and you want to wear goggles because you don't want to get that sap on your skin or in your eyes. So that's really important. I just wanted to emphasize that for the owner. But it's a great tree. It grows in these kind of big, gnarly thickets in uh, its native Africa and West Africa. So uh, it it is a great plant to have. Very like I said earlier, very low care. Uh, you really only need to fertilize it maybe in the spring and the summer, and you can put it outside in kind of a kind of a semi shady location, uh, and uh, because it grows in these thickets, so it's kind of partially shaded by other plants. So, but just be sure to protect your hands and your eyes if you're doing any work with that plant. Mm, good point. All right, back to the phones. Julie, Martha has been waiting there in Hanover with a question. Thank you, Martha. What is your question? My question, oh, good morning, by the way. Um, My question has to do with some small uh, fruit fly type um, bugs that we've been having. And I'm wondering if it's possible they could be coming from our houseplants 
because we looked them up and we found out that, you know, we're not leaving any rotting food lay around. They're not in the garbage. And still we have tons and tons of fruit flies. Now, when I look at my houseplants that are sitting here, I have an ornamental palm. I have a big ivy. There's some um, geranium that one of my daughters brought in from outside and is growing. And we have some Christmas cactuses. And I'm just wondering if it's possible if those small Fruit flies could be coming out of the soil in any of those? And if so, what do we do about it? Oh, excellent question. So these are most likely fungus gnats. And fungus gnats are uh, very small. They're very similar to a fruit fly. A lot of people will think exactly like you did. Boy, we have fruit flies. Have we got bananas out? Are they rotting? Anything? But they come from plants. Uh, their larvae live in the soil, and they will feed on the roots of the plants. And then these are the adults that you're seeing, and they're really a, a big nuisance. They've, they've spread quite easily, um, but they rarely, if ever, damage your indoor plants, but are mostly a nuisance. So um, you can do a couple different things, and, and I would recommend taking a look at our management of indoor of insects on indoor plants webpage because there's a section there on fungus gnats. You can do things like put up yellow sticky cards that will attract and capture the adults. You can order those online. You can buy them at garden centers. You can repot plants and uh, put in fresh garden soil. Remember that these larvae are living in the soil. And so by removing that soil, washing off your plants roots to remove any larvae that might be on those roots. They're very, very small. Um, though that would also work too. And you want to wash your pot. You want to use fresh soil. In other words, soil that has not been opened, has not been sitting outside all summer. Uh, I would go buy a new bag of soil at the garden center and repot the plants. You can also treat these uh, with uh, a couple different products. One is called BT and it's a particular strain called Israelensis which will affect the larvae. And you can buy these also. It's called Knockout Gnats is the brand or the, the product name. So there's a couple different things you can do. One of the main reasons that these appear is that they like, like their name sounds like fungus gnats, they like damp environments. So by allowing soil to dry out thoroughly uh, between waterings, and uh, making sure that your pots drain well and not letting your pots sit in excess water, like in the saucer, all of those things will help to prevent fungus gnats from, uh, from surviving. So a couple different things you can do. You can try the sticky traps. You can repot your plants. Uh, you want to be sure that you're not overwatering and you're allowing your plants to dry out well. There's right. a couple different things. And I would take a look at that management of in, insects on indoor plants webpage at extension.umn.edu. Go to Yard and Garden and go to House Plants. Good info. Very good. Uh, let's take another call. Then I want to grab some uh, text messages, Julie. I think Dan is uh, waiting there in Ramsey to ask you a question. Thank you for your patience. Dan, what is your question? Good morning, guys, and Happy New Year. Love your show. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I've got... At my girlfriend's house in Ramsey, I snow blow the yard for some puppy pass down to the grass, and I have a home in Fridley. I care for both of the yards the same, and in Fridley, I've got walking paths for, uh, we still have a walking route for the mailman, and my the grass in Fridley comes back, like, immediately, 
and it's like six or eight weeks up in Ramsey. Could it be the soil or the grass that so takes so long to come back? Okay. So it could be the type of grass. Uh, it could also be the soil up in Ramsey. I think it's pretty sandy soil, if I'm correct. Um, yeah. And if it's a fescue, it's going to come back later than a Kentucky bluegrass. So a fescue is still great plant, uh, perfect, you know, great grass to mix in. Uh, fescue is drought tolerant. It grows in sun. It grows in shade. Uh, but it does take longer to come back. And so it could be a combination of the sandier soil up in Ramsey, plus it could be the type of grass that you're growing for a lawn. All right. While we're on the topic of lawns, a texter says, besides fertilizer, what should I be putting on the lawn in the spring? Well, I, uh, with the lawns, yeah, fertilizer is fine when it's actively growing. Um, but really it's mowing it. Uh, raking up dead grass that's in it. Um, there's not a lot to add. You might put down a uh, pre-emergent for crabgrass. So you would time that before the crabgrass emerges. And we have uh, some good information on that on our lawn care calendar, which is found on our lawn section of the extension site. So about the timing of that, you need to time it so that you're putting that down before the seeds from last year's annual crabgrass germinate. The pre-emergent will prevent those seeds from germinating. You cannot put it down if you're seeding your lawn, too. If you're putting down new grass seed, you cannot put down a pre-emergent for crabgrass at the same time because you'll prevent your grass seeds from germinating. So you have to make a, a choice at that point. It depends how bad the crabgrass is. But crabgrass pre-emergent and then uh, certainly starting to mow your lawn, raking up dead grass, and then you can do a fertilizer application when the grass is actively growing. All right, very good. Uh, as you know, Julie, we have the smartest listeners, and they, they also offer some suggestions once oh, in a excellent. while, which we appreciate. Now, here's sure. one uh, about, uh, and this was earlier in the show, about the person who called in earlier with her, quote, little pine tree issue. Yes. Uh, this texture says, could it possibly be a lemon cypress? A lemon cypress? Hmm. I have no idea. I I don't know. I'm not familiar with that plant, but yeah, it might be. I'm, I, I'm always disappointed when uh, plants, ornamental plants are not, in, a tag is not included with them. Sure. And, uh, because it really is helpful to know what the plant is. But yeah, it could be. I would treat it a lot like just like a, a it's a small evergreen and, uh, you know, just keep it watered so it's moist but not wet and keep it in a sunny window. Very good. But it could be. I'm not You'll sure. never know. I'm All right. Sure. Let's grab a phone call. Uh, Scott is calling in from Ramsey, I believe. Scott, you're on CCO with Julie. Hi, good morning. Um, I just want to say great information, Julie. Um, I'm a pest management professional here in the Twin Cities. All right. I, just to, I just wanted to offer up another tip about the fungus mat. Excellent. I went to a client I went to a client's home where previous pest control people had been there looking for the origin of the fungus gnat and they were checking all the plants. However, they overlooked that he had stored a bag of potting soil in the basement uh-huh. yes. and it sat, it sat too long. It had the eggs in it and um, it was too moist. So it allowed the fungus gnats to or the origin came from the potting soil. 
so once we removed the bag of potting soil, the entire problem went away. There was no need to spray um, any insecticides. So I just wanted to offer that suggestion. Make sure you don't overlook that um, as well. That's awesome, Scott. Thank you for calling in. And we always love having professionals uh, like yourself add to the show. It's really important. And that is an excellent point. Um, that also includes when potting soil sits outside um, and it's stored, say, you know, under an eave or something, and then people pot up, use it to pot up house plants, and suddenly they have a whole array of critters in their house. And But that's a great point. Yeah, look for places like potting soil, old pots. If you've got, if you're storing your, uh, like overwintering geraniums in your basement, that could maybe have fungus gnats in it if they're still damp. Um, yeah, great tip. Thank you so much for calling in with that information. Yeah, good deal. Thank you, Scott. Uh, Julie, we'll need to take a quick break here. We will uh, be back on the other side with more Smart Garden. 651-989-9226. We'll uh, pick up on more calls and text when we return here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. We are here every Saturday, and tell your friends and neighbors we're around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour here on 830WCCO. This morning with us, Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. And, uh, Julie, as usual, we have uh, callers, we have texters, and we'll put put you back to work. Let's see, Judy is calling in from Maplewood, I believe, uh, this morning. Julie, Judy, thanks for waiting. What's your question for Julie? Good morning. I just have a comment on those fungus gnats. We had a uh, hatch in our plumeria. We got about a seven-foot plumeria we put outside in the summer and bring it in. And we started seeing these gnats flying all over, and here they were coming out of the ground of the plumeria. Mm -hmm. So I just covered the whole top of it with saran wrap for about two days, and then they were dying. And then I dug out the top six or seven inches of uh, soil because it's a huge pot. Yeah, and it it worked. It took care of the whole problem. We did not have to use an insecticide. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it larvae are in in that soil, and they're feeding on those roots and feeding on fungus that's uh you know and and materials that are in the soil. So yeah, removing the soil was important. It is really hard when it's a large plant. Uh, my first experience with fungus gnats was with a large ficus tree, and it was uh, in the middle of winter, and I had fungus gnats. And so I, at at 10 degrees, I took that plant outside and I shook off all the soil. I dumped out the pot, I washed the pot, and then I repotted it in my, and I washed the roots of the plant off too. I laid that giant ficus out on the countertop in my kitchen and washed all of the soil off those roots to make sure that all of the parts of the soil and uh, any larvae that were clinging to them were were washed down the drain and then repotted it. That's an extreme case, and and it is like with the plumeria. It that's a big plant, and it it can be really a challenge to repot it. But uh, removing that top those top seven six seven inches of soil, and again allowing it to dry out is uh, between waterings is important. All right, very good. Uh, let's see. Well, yeah, a lot of texts. Uh, hello, Julie. This one says, I brought in my elephant ear plant for the winter. It has three main stalks. There have been nine flowers in the past few months. Is this unusual? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But, boy, it sounds like it is in a good environment for blooming. So that's terrific. 
Um, sounds very healthy. I would be fertilizing it at about half strength, uh, half the recommended strength, because you're seeing all this active growth. But it sounds like you're doing a great job. That's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's see. There's uh, another text. It says, I have over 65 shrubs. Most need to be pruned when dormant in winter. I know which one not to prune now, azalea, rhododendron, lilacs. Uh, some, on their, uh, some on their literature from Bachman's say prune late winter after severe cold. Is that true for all shrubs or just some? Well, the reason that we prune in late winter is because the plants are dormant and it is less stressful for the plants. And then as the plants, as the temperatures warm up and plants start actively growing, they can, they can then heal uh, before they, you know, get into the, the uh, summer months. And it also eliminates the potential for insects or diseases that are in the environment to infect the the plants through these open wounds. So those are kind of the rules of, of pruning. It's also easier to see the plant when there's no leaves on it. That also, that's just from a, um, a logistical standpoint. But um, I, it does depend on the plant. And as the texture wrote, uh, plants that are spring blooming, like lilacs and azaleas, you don't want to prune those until after they've bloomed because you'll be pruning off the flower buds and those flower buds are set the previous summer. So uh, pruning them off in spring would be pruning off any blooms for the, for the coming spring. Um, But it sounds like, I'm not sure exactly if I've addressed the question, Denny, um, but it, it does depend on the plant. And that is the reason why we would bloom, why we would prune in late winter is for that dormancy reason. And then also to minimize any infection. And again, I think maybe this is a good point where we could uh, introduce, uh, for those that don't know about the university's website, all that great information you can browse. Yes, there is a good section on um, trees and shrubs, and it has good information on pruning and has a list of some of the common plants that we have in our landscapes and when to prune those. Okay. A couple of Christmas uh, cactus questions. Maybe I could combine them. Uh, one says, what can you re- recommend for lighting and water? Thanks. Love the show. And the other uh, Christmas cactus question uh, says, it bloomed beautifully for Christmas. What would cause the remaining buds to drop? So Christmas cacti are, or holiday cactus, uh, because there are different species of these plants, and some of them are considered earlier bloomers like Thanksgiving cactus, if we want to use a timing, a holiday timing. Some people claim to have Halloween cacti (laughs) because they bloom even earlier. These plants will set bud, they're called short day plants, and they will set buds based on shorter daylight, shorter days. So as our fall days become shorter, these plants are triggered through hormones to set buds. And so they we bring them indoors or the, or we, you know, the light changes indoors and those plants will set buds. And so that's, and it typically takes about that amount of time, you know, up to Thanksgiving or so for these plants to do that. These plants are um, epiphytes in nature, meaning that they do not really grow in soil. They grow in, uh, they grow on other plants. They're not parasites, they're epiphytes, meaning that they gather their, moisture, nutrition, uh, humidity, all from air and the plants near them. 
Uh, orchids are, a lot, some of the orchids are the same way. And so overwatering these plants is a death sentence. You want to be sure that these plants are in a well-drained pot. I know I've said that probably three times today, but that is one of the first things that will kill a house plant is, plant, is pots that are not draining well. And those roots sit in this very wet soil. There's no air in there for the roots and the roots will literally rot. And so when you start to see your Christmas cactus wilt, and it's wilting, and yet the soil is wet, and you're scratching your head thinking, why is it wilting? It's wilting because the roots are literally rotting off in that wet soil, and there's no root to bring up any kind of moisture or nutrients from the soil to the rest of the plant. So the plant starts to wilt. So watering is really important with these plants, and being sure that they're in a a good uh, light mixture of uh, potting soil mixture, that they're in a pot with holes in the bottom, and that if you have it in a decorative pot, which a lot of people do, that you take it uh, you take it out of that in its nursery pot, that's the little green or black pot that they come in, and set it in the sink, water it well, let it drain, and then put it back into the decorative pot. Uh, so that's a little bit about Christmas cactus and holiday cactus. You can read more on our webpage on holiday cactus, which is... Uh, uh, very informative. It has good information on lighting, on temperature. Temperature will also trigger budding, and then about watering too. So that's at extension.umn.edu. Go to Yard and Garden and go to our house plants page. Very good. We have a couple minutes or so to go, Julie. Uh, Texter says, should the amaryllis plant that you're talking about uh, be brought outside in the summer, be in this uh, direct sunlight? What kind of light for an amaryllis to be brought back out? So an amaryllis is in, the, is in the lily plant, so it does like bright sunlight. Uh, but anytime you're bringing a plant from the indoors, outdoors, you want to acclimate it to the light. You don't want to bring it from your indoor location right out into the direct sunlight or you'll burn the leaves, the literally sunburn. So you want to bring them into, say, tuck them underneath a tree on a table uh, or in a shady location and acclimate them to the light and then move them into a little bit more light and a little bit more light and a little bit more light. One interesting thing about plants is that they produce leaves according to the kind of condition that they're growing in. So sometimes you will notice that uh, plants will drop a lot of leaves when you bring them indoors in the fall, and that's because they've been producing leaves for outdoors, and now they have to change and produce leaves for indoors. That's why hibiscus drop their leaves, ficus drop their leaves. It's a different environment, and the plant acclimates to that, acclimates to that new environment by, by actually growing new leaves that are suitable to that environment. So, so with these plants, you want to acclimate them to the out-of-doors by putting them in shade, then a little bit more sun, a little bit more sun, and finally into full sun. Okay, let's see. Well, we have time maybe for one more quick one. Last summer, Tester says, I tried to plant native plants, coneflowers, et cetera. The squirrels dug them up. First question, how do I stop that? Second, what can I do now to help my tomatoes for next year? Last year's crop was terrible. Oh, dear. Well, the problem with squirrels is tough because uh, there's not a lot you can do about it. Um, uh, I know people who put down chicken wire and the plants grow up through the chicken wire and that prevents uh, plant from, uh, squirrels from digging. Um, they, people do that around bulbs a lot of times. But that's kind of a hassle. It doesn't look very good. And, uh, and so there isn't really a solution to squirrels. And especially if you have nut trees like oaks and walnuts in your yard or nearby. So I'm afraid I don't have a very good answer for that. 
Uh, there probably are some repellents you can put down. Uh, Malorganite, I know, has been one that has worked for me in the past for rabbits, and it may work for as a repellent. Just a, it's a smell repellent for um, for squirrels. Okay. Well, we are plumb out of time, Julie. Let's real fast in ten seconds give that website. Uh, it is extension.umn.edu, and we are under Yard and Garden. And remember that you can subscribe to the Yard and Garden News, and you can also send in questions and pictures to Ask Extension. Fantastic. And you can ask more Lawn and Garden questions next week here on Smart Garden. Thank you, Julie. Always good to hear from you. Happy New Year, everyone. And to you and yours. Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Get those home improvement questions ready. That's next hour with Lindis here on News Talk 830 WCCO. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 